This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to the February 27th, 2018 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Matt. I am doing very well. Uh, obviously, we have just wrapped up our first non-restrictor plate race of the season, so definitely some interesting things to talk about, and we go right back to another mile-and-a-half track this week, so we should be able to apply some of those things pretty quickly. Yeah, so uh, this is the, the second edition of the Midweek Show. I thought the first one went... Uh, went yeah, it was good. it was well-received, well, I think. So, uh, yeah, so it's love a good deal. Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store fifty to seventy percent off. Dresses from nineteen ninety nine. Polos from sixteen ninety nine. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Uh, it's fun to be to be doing the, the midweek show because it's uh, sort of the it's, I think it's the perfect time to look backwards and then also to uh, to start to look forward. So uh, let's talk first about last weekend's folds of Quick Trip five hundred. Uh, it took place under the threat of rain, uh, but NASCAR managed to get in the full 500 miles, so uh, that was great. Kevin Harvick was able to overcome an early pit issue. Uh, he overcame an alternate strategy by Denny Hamlin to get the checkered flag. So this was Harvick's first win in Atlanta since uh, 2001 uh, after the death of Dale Earnhardt. Uh, and it was the fifth consecutive Atlanta race in which he led the most laps, which is uh, just kind of uh, dumbfounding. But uh, talk to us more about the race and how it played out. Yeah, I thought it was a really fun race. Um, obviously, there was some split uh, decisions there between the fans. If you look at the polling, uh, about 60% love the race and 40% hated it. But you can, I think you get that with a lot of NASCAR races. And I think that's because... We didn't see a ton of passing uh, necessarily late in the race, but we did see a couple different strategies. And obviously with Harvick checking out there at the end, it maybe made things a little boring, but I thought it was super interesting from a strategy perspective. Uh, and also just the way that the race played out, it was very interesting that uh, five drivers ended up leading at least 5% of the laps. Uh, Ryan Newman got the early lead and led 17 laps. Then um, uh, eventually... Kurt Busch led a portion of the race. Keselowski led a portion of the race. We talked about the alternate strategy that Denny Hamlin was on. He led a good portion of the race. But, of course, Kevin Harvick still led 181 laps. He had been averaging 55% of the laps led over his past three Atlanta races, which is from uh, when they moved the, the race back to the spring 
Um, so, you know, f- averaging 55% is certainly nothing to sneeze at. Well, last weekend, he had 55% of the laps led. So 55.7 to be exact. And his average was 55.1% before that, I think. So pretty much hit his average right on the head. But this is, like you said, the first time he actually finished the race in first place among those times that he led uh, the most laps. And um, even if we go back towards uh, the prior two years, 2014, he led the most laps. In 2013, he barely led the second most laps, almost had the most laps led. So out of those five years, um, this plus this year being six years, he's only won one of those six races. So, um, you know, it definitely still goes to show that Atlanta, a track that is highly variable and had something happened, you know, to, to Kevin Harvick, uh, you know, obviously it could have opened up the door for a lot of different uh, other contenders there to, to take the win. Okay, uh, let's continue to look back at Atlanta. From a DFS perspective, uh, what did we learn? You mentioned that this was the first non-restrictor plate race of the year. What did we learn, uh, if anything? We learned that, um, you know, the issue going on here with the Hendrick Motorsports Chevys is not something that was just uh, sandbagging in practice or anything like that. Uh, We definitely learned that Hendrick Motorsports seems to be struggling a little bit. Um, not just because Jimmy Johnson, you know, blew a tire, spun out, and all that, uh, but just because they, in general, lacked speed. Jimmy Johnson went a lap down even before the problems. Uh, Chase Elliott was the highest finishing Hendrick driver in tenth place, and that required a bit of a strategy element as well to get up there. Uh, so Hendrick Motorsports certainly struggling. Uh, William Byron took an 18th place finish. Alex Bowman a 20th place finish, and then we mentioned the issues for Johnson that relegated him down to 27th place. So. Definitely, you know, with this new Chevy, the new Chevy Camaro, uh, I think there's some things that Hendrick Motorsports are still figuring out. Uh, Kyle Larson wasn't, you know, super top speed Kyle Larson. He only finished ninth. He's in a Chevy. Jamie McMurray, 19th. He's in a Chevy. So uh, the Chevys certainly seem to be a little bit behind overall and uh, definitely was a struggle this weekend for the Chevy, this past weekend for the Chevy camp. Also, the Fords looked really strong. Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Clint Boyer, Two, three. It's like Kurt Busch leading a portion of that race just based off essentially off of speed. And then that one little Harvick hiccup earlier in the race where he had a, a pit issue and had to come back in and, and tighten lug nuts up and everything. But uh, the Fords looked really strong. So uh, I don't necessarily think Toyota is the manufacturer to beat right now. Uh, I think Toyota and Ford probably neck and neck. We'll have to you know, maybe wait another one or two races really to see how this battle plays out. But I certainly would put Chevy in third right now. Yeah, Chevy, uh, not all changes are uh, improvements, as we've seen right now. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the NASCAR betting articles. Uh, You wrote one this last weekend for the Action Network. Uh, I did one that was uh, focused on props. Yours was focused on uh, odds to win. Uh, How did you do? Well, I was actually pretty pleased with the article, even though none of the bets actually won. Uh, and I also gave advice to avoid Kevin Harvick in your bet, and Harvick ended up winning. It might sound like I had a bad day, but if we think about it in the bigger picture, it actually was a very good day. Uh, I mentioned you know, kind of at the top of the show here when Harvick, if you're going back to 2013, that is now six races where he's either led the most laps or like just barely almost the most laps, and he only won one of those races. Well, his odds to win were five to one, so... If he wins one out of every six races, you're breaking exactly even. And this happened to be the one that he won. So I think in the long run, you know, Harvick only winning two Atlanta races since 2001, this being the second, uh, and with his dominance that he's shown over the years, 
you know, obviously, I think it was okay to fade him here. He had a problem earlier that he had to overcome. Had Hamlin's strategy ended up working, that could have, you know, could have happened. Had the late race caution turned out a little bit differently, and, and you know, Harvick spun his tires or had a pit problem or whatever, there was lots of opportunity there for Harvick to slip up and either Keselowski or Denny Hamlin to take the win, uh, just based off of off of their um, speed and different strategies. So. You know, I think aside from Harvick, Kozlowski was the fastest on the Harvick strategy. And aside from everybody else, obviously, and then on the other strategy, Denny Hamlin was the fastest on the other strategy. Joey Logano was on it, and Chase Elliott kind of joined it at the end there as well. So, you know, if Harvick had a problem, Kozlowski and Hamlin were, were the ones that were in line to win the race. And they were my other picks, along with Martin Truex Jr. Kozlowski ended up finishing second, and I picked him at 16.5 to 1. I think in the long run, that's a pretty sound bet. Denny Hamlin finished fourth. Obviously, he was the fastest on the alternate strategy. Had the race stayed green uh, and Harvick not been crazy, crazy good Harvick, uh, Hamlin probably would have won that race because he would have finished ahead of Brad Keselowski if not for that final caution. So, you know, people – I saw a lot of people bashing the strategy on Twitter, um, but I actually thought it was a pretty good strategy by Denny Hamlin because other than Kevin Harvick, he would have been second place, uh, you know, had the race stayed green. And, and obviously we've had the race stay green the past couple of years like that. So uh, it was a sound strategy. And of course, if anything happened to Harvick, Hamlin was in line to actually get the win. And then my other pick. Uh, so I, I picked Denny Hamlin at 12 to one. And then my other pick was Martin Truex Jr. Eight and a half to one. Um, he made his way to second place really quickly in like 40 laps, but then kind of faded over the rest of the race, finished fifth. So my picks, uh, 16 and a half finished second, 12 to one finished fourth, and eight and a half to one finished fifth. I'll take that any day. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, for the props, uh, I had uh, let's see, I had Truex at uh, plus 150 over Harvick. Uh, don't regret that one, Truex. Uh, you know he was he was in there. It was a respectable showing considering that I was getting points. Uh, Logano plus 115 over Jimmy Johnson. Really liked that one. I had Blaney uh, at even odds over Eric Jones. Uh, those two finished neck and neck. Uh, just, you know, kind of, I think I got on the, the wrong side of a coin flip there. But uh, considering I was getting even money, I think I kind of liked yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. I think all those picks were, were fine at the odds you were getting. Um, certainly, Logano was my, my favorite of those. He just had, you mentioned in the article, he basically had all the same stats as Johnson, except maybe slightly better in some cases, uh, if not equal. And, it, you know, if, if everything is showing equal and you're, getting extra money for you know, beyond 50% odds. That's, that's, that's great. So I liked all those picks and you're right. Eric Jones and Ryan Blaney ended up as a coin toss in the end, but uh, Ryan Blaney did have the higher average running position. If you kind of want to you know pat yourself on the back a little bit there, um, Ryan Blaney started further back than Eric Jones, but had a 14th place average running position throughout the whole race. Eric Jones, a 16th place average running position. So I think in the long run, you were definitely profitable there as well. Yeah, one thing I, I want to give a, a quick shout out to the the model, which uh, was was fantastic in a couple of ways. So one, fantastic uh, in terms of the ownership, and you uh, you tweet that out normally uh, after lineups lock in, you know, just uh, it's almost like a, a perfect correlation there. Uh, so the ownership uh, percentages that you project in the models that was fantastic, uh, but then also, uh, I mean, there were there was a point in the models where. It had uh, Austin Dillon, I believe, finishing higher than Ryan Newman. And, uh, I mean, I think at one point, you if you had bet that on a prop, you were you would have gotten Austin Dillon at plus 205 or something like that. And I was looking at that, and I was thinking, you know, the model tells me to do it, and I didn't do it. And, of course, uh, you know, I should have done it. But uh, 
yeah, the the model, I think it was a, a really good week for the model. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the model results as well. Um, so remember, the model predicts driver finishing position for drivers that finish the race. So if you look at, if you know, if we remove Trevor Bain and Greg Galding, who are the only two to DNF, and you plot the model finish versus the actual finish, the R squared was 0.67, which is really good. It's, uh, you know, we say when we're doing these these podcasts over the past year or two, you know, we say, what's the predictive ability of the model? It's around, you know, depending on the track, it's usually between 0.5 and 0.65 R squared on out of sample data. So in predicting uh, data it hasn't seen. Well, this was above that, <clears throat> excuse me, above that range, 0.67. So it had a very good day predicting Atlanta Motor Speedway. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. All right, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the winning lineup in the four hundred thousand dollar GPP from Sunday's DraftKings slate. Uh, what was the composition? It was a it was a very cool lineup, um, and you know we're we're gonna definitely talk about uh, one of the guys you already mentioned. But first, of course, it starts with Kevin Harvick. Eighty one laps led, seventy eight fastest laps. Uh, you know, 98.8% of the laps in the top 15. So uh, very much a dominant race for Kevin Harvick. Next, Brad Keselowski was in the winning lineup. He started fifth, finished second, so he picked up three place differential points. He also picked up a lot of dominator points with the 38 laps led and the 27 fastest laps. So uh, another very strong showing there for Kevin Harvick. Uh, sorry, for Brad Keselowski. Martin Truex Jr. was in the winning lineup, of course, coming all the way back from 35th to 5th, picking up 30 place differential points, as well as 39 points for finishing position, plus a lap led and 11 fastest laps. And then uh, Kurt Busch was actually in the winning lineup of the 400K. Uh, he he did outscore his teammate Clint Boyer, so it was interesting. We talked about Kurt Busch and Clint Boyer, and on Road of His Live, I said maybe pick one of the two instead of both, even though I liked them both. Kurt Busch barely edged his teammate Clint Boyer out in DraftKings points. Even though Kurt started seventh and finished eighth and actually went negative in place differential, he did get 52 laps led and 19 laps, uh, fastest laps. So that gave him enough to overcome Clint Boyer, who was not in the winning lineup uh, with a starting position of ninth and a finishing position of third. Clint Boyer gained uh, six places in place differential. Very nice finish, of course, but no laps led and, and fewer fastest laps than Kurt Busch. So that's how Kurt Busch edged out his teammate there to be in the winning lineup. So we got four kind of expensive drivers there. We've got Harvick, Keselowski, Truex, and Kurt in the 8K range, mid-8K range there. Uh, so after that, the next two drivers obviously had to be on the cheaper side. One was Austin Dillon, as we talked about at the top of the show, um, you know, with the, the surprise there moving from 25th to 14th, how you mentioned about the bet finishing ahead of Ryan Newman. Um, 
So that was a, certainly a surprise. And then uh, finally Cole Witt, and it really came down to, you know, just picking the right Joe Dirt cheap driver. I said, maybe, 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 just maybe pick uh, Ross Chastain over Cole Witt, just because Chastain started two spots further back. Well, Chastain also finished two spots further back of Cole Witt, so uh, it, it didn't end up making Ross Chastain in the winning lineup. It made Cole Witt end up in the winning lineup, but I still think, you know, Cole Witt was 6% owned, Ross Chastain I think was about 3% owned, so, uh, you know, you could have gone either way there, and Cole Witt ended up being in the winning lineup, uh, but that's the thing about these back markers. They're really hard to predict, which is why you should uh, mix and match them with your, your, your you know, your core because especially when you're doing these Joe Dirt cheap drivers, you know, if you do a strategy where you got a lot of expensive and then two cheaps, mix and match these Joe Dirts because you don't know which one's going to end up in the winning lineup. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about Austin Dillon. So um, one of the reasons why I was a little hesitant on him, uh, he didn't have good kind of like the metrics that we normally rely on. They didn't look good. He didn't have good practice times. Uh, he didn't have great track history. Uh, but he still had a you know relatively high uh, finishing projected uh, finishing position within the model. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit and if there's a lesson to be learned there at all? Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting that Austin Dillon ended up having that kind of a, a day, just because you know we we talked about him practice. There was not a whole lot going for him in practice. He was really slow in single laps. His 10 lap wasn't even very good in final practice, which is always very important. Um, his track history, not exactly the best. I mean, if you look from 2015 to present, he was actually behind his brother, Ty Dillon, in track history, if you look at driver rating. So the, all the indicators were there for, for Austin Dillon not to be a great performer, except the model pulled out the fact that Austin Dillon is still Austin Dillon. He is still an RCR who has... Um, you know, historically been okay at mile and a half in general <clears throat> and um, pulled in some of that track type history and pulled in some of the, just the overall last 18 performance. And that was able enough to kip, kick Austin Dillon up into that 15th place finishing position projection, which is exactly where he finished was right around 15th place. So uh, I think, you know, that's something we should certainly pay attention to, especially early in the season is not just focus on what's going on here, but really balancing all of the factors going on together. And that's why I do this model is because it does balance all of these factors together. Um, it, it, it really gives you a good look at kind of what we can expect Austin Dillon to do. It's the most accurate in terms of long-term average finishing position, uh, even more accurate than the SIM scores. So, you know, it, it, in a, coin flip kind of situation so the you know the sim scores had austin dillon with a median finish of 19th if he finished the race and the model gave him a 15 point something if he finished the race in the long run default a little more to the model because it's more accurate in making projections in the long run the sim scores are a little bit nicer for seeing kind of ranges of outcomes uh and so i think that's that's kind of where we maybe missed a little bit on austin dillon the other thing is the ownership model projected Austin Dillon around 20% ownership, and he went basically exactly 20% ownership. So the model, that model also was spot on with Austin Dillon. I thought that might have been just a bit too high. I don't know if he actually had a 20% chance of ending up in the winning lineup, uh, especially given his price tag being in the 7K range. Whereas you look at a guy like AJ Allmendinger, who was cheaper, started 21st, but model projected him to finish a little bit higher than that as well. I thought it was, you know, AJ Allmendinger was a very nice contrarian play to Austin Dillon. Didn't work out in the long run, or didn't work out, I should say, this weekend. But replay the race over a number of times, who knows? But certainly Austin Dillon was was the one that kind of, you know, I guess got by our uh, grasp there a little bit this past weekend. 
Okay. Uh, let's start looking ahead to this weekend's race. Uh, it is in your hometown, Las Vegas. Uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway is a mile-and-a-half tri-oval with progressive banking in the corners. Talk about racing that we normally see at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Yeah, so Las Vegas is kind of your typical mile-and-a-half track. Uh, it, it really is just like the bread and butter of NASCAR racing. We don't see the same kind of tire wear that you're going to see at Atlanta. So Las Vegas Motor Speedway uh, it means handling will be very important you, you're going to have more grip into the corners, so you're going to be able to go a little faster through the corners than you do in Atlanta. That puts a premium on aerodynamics. So these teams that have great car body work, uh, great, you know, a, a great job, great numbers in the wind tunnel, for example, will be a little bit better. So it, it's kind of uh, that's kind of where these mile and a halfs go. And, and the racing is is the racing we see basically everywhere uh, on average. I would say you know the, the passing is difficult but not impossible. Uh, the progressive banking certainly helps, so you can get a couple different lanes there at Las Vegas. But uh, you know it's it's not exactly um, I would say the highest rate of passing uh, among all tracks. But certainly you can pass at Las Vegas because of the progressive banking. It's just not as it's necessarily easy as a track like Atlanta if you're on different tire strategies. I mean, you saw you know, Kevin Harvick was able to make easy, easy, easy work of Denny Hamlin, just like Denny Hamlin was able to make easy, easy, easy work of Brad Keselowski when Hamlin was on the fresher tires. So uh, here at Las Vegas, you're not going to see as much tire agenda. Uh, I think you'll see you know, cars being more equal speed because of that, especially throughout the run as well. Um, that said, there is still some tire wear, obviously, and 10 lap 10 lap becomes important, all those all those normal things. But uh, it's kind of just your typical typical cookie cutter mile and a half track. And, uh, you know, I think it probably might be my least interesting type of racing throughout the year. But you never know. I mean, last year on the last lap of the race, Joey Logano got under Kyle Busch, spun Kyle Busch out on the very last lap going for I think it was like fourth place or something like that. So you can definitely still get wrecks here. Uh, and you should have a few more than Atlanta where, you know, like I said, Atlanta, they're on kind of eggshells. Las Vegas, because of the aerodynamics, you can have a car snap on you a little bit easier. Uh, you can also probably race side by side a little bit easier. Um, although we did see some good side by side racing in Atlanta. What I'm saying is is you, you won't see the difference in speed as much at Las Vegas uh, if, if the tires are wearing a little bit differently. It's not going to show itself as much as Las Vegas. So you can kind of get cars staying closer together, end up creating a few more accidents as well. Okay. Uh, more Las Vegas questions, but first I want to remind you that you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content and your subscription supports the pod. Uh, and then also, of course, for everyone who wants some of the NASCAR betting insight that Rotodoc dispenses, you can check that out at the Action Network, and I will also have a piece there, but you can probably just ignore that because Nick's stuff is the stuff you want. Uh, okay, Nick. Las Vegas, uh, what are the statistics that you are using to gauge driver performance? Yeah, so you know, obviously last weekend in Atlanta, we talked about how track history was super, super important, uh, and that played itself out throughout the race. <clears throat> this weekend at, at Las Vegas, we are at another mile and a half, but because it's more of your typical mile and a half that you'll see throughout the rest of the, you know, the series, this is one where we want to pay attention to track type history so the the large ovals or the mile and a half or or if you want to pull into michigan auto club you can as well but really kind of the, the cookie cutter tracks there the the mile and a half so the large ovals are what we want to focus on so how did these drivers do at large ovals last year 
Um, how did they do, especially in the second half of last year at, at these large ovals? That's what the model really focuses on this weekend. 10-lap average, also extremely important. Of course, we don't have that information yet, but when we do, that's going to be very important. So uh, obviously, if you're listening to this midweek, um, I get a lot of tweets early in the week or you know, on, during the weekend. When's the article coming out? When is your model going to be updated? None of that happens until after final practice because practice is so important at most races. Just like this weekend, practice, very important, the 10-lap average. Uh, there are some ancillary factors that kind of get pulled in here uh, if you if you dig a little bit deeper into the model. Um, the the dominance at Las Vegas does have a small bit, so laps led and fastest laps at Las Vegas does have a small bit of influence. Uh, the finishing position over the last 18 races, so if you kind of go back into the second half of last year and then the first race or two of this year, um, what how, what is the driver's average finishing position? It's interesting that's not driver rating, but it's average finishing position, um, which I think maybe just goes to pull in not only how well they finish, but also pulling in some of their DNF rate. Uh, and then uh, those, you know, those kind of seem to be the extra factors. But really, track type is the most important. And when we're looking at track type this weekend, we're mostly going to be focusing on driver rating. Um, you can pull in a little bit of quality pass percentage, but uh, driver rating seems to be the more important statistic for Las Vegas than quality pass percentage this weekend. So focus on type driver rating. That would be the large oval driver rating over the past uh, year and then the past half year. And then uh, 10 lap average. Those will be your two most important factors going into Vegas this weekend. Okay. Uh, who do you think are the top tier drivers uh, who fit the bill uh, in terms of the key stats that you've identified? Yeah. Well, I think there's one super, super obvious name. I bet you could even guess it, Matt. Martin Truex Boom. Jr. Boom. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. Of course, we know his dominance at the mile and a half uh, at the large ovals last year. Um, you know, if you if you just look at the last eight large oval races, not counting Vegas this year, um, which I haven't updated the stats for yet, his average finish of 2.1. So that's very good. Driver rating 131.9, far and away the best. 39, or sorry, 36.9 percent of the laps led over the past eight large oval. Uh, races there. So Martin Truex Jr., just the obvious name. Um, however, we shouldn't discredit a couple of the other names here. Uh, obviously, Kevin Harvick in that Ford. The Fords have been pretty good. Um, <clears throat> he was he was about third best on the large ovals in the second half of the season. Uh, second best was Kyle Busch. So Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick. Kyle Busch had the uh, slightly lower driver rating, but had far more dominance um, with 20% of the laps led and 12% of the fastest laps versus Kevin Harvick, who had 13% of laps led and only 10% of the fastest laps. And I say, you know, only, it's still very, very good. So Truex, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick kind of Truex one, and then Harvick and Kyle Busch kind of neck and neck for two and three, maybe practice times or manufacturer performance end up separating those two this weekend. But uh, one name that isn't up there is Brad Keselowski, which I thought was interesting because last year we kind of thought of him as maybe the number two or three, possibly the number four in, in mile and a half. But the second half of the year, the Penske cars really faded on these mile and a half. So I'll have to see if they recapture the magic. If you go back just to all of last year, Keselowski does jump up a little bit higher in the, the large oval finish there. But, uh, you know, by and large for, for Keselowski, it was the first half of the year that was awesome. And the second half of the year that kind of stunk. So tough to gauge performance with Keselowski, but I, I, I wouldn't obviously throw him away, especially if the Fords make some gains, he could be one of those top five drivers as well. 
Okay, so those are all four uh, pretty elite drivers. What about some kind of like middle-of-the-road, no pun intended, uh, middle-of-the-road drivers? Uh, how do some of those guys do uh, in your key stats? Yeah, I think one interesting name this weekend that we should really focus on uh, – well, let's, let's get two names here. Uh, Eric Jones should be in that 8K range. Uh, he had a driver rating last year of 83.3 at the large ovals. Uh, so if you look at all of the large ovals, and then um, if you – kind of, uh, I guess, remove the the DNF races he had. The 83.3 goes up to an 84, so not much of a change. But, um, you know, obviously a very good driver rating for Eric Jones, and it was better than uh, some other names that I'm sure we'll mention in the fade section. Uh, But uh, Eric Jones, definitely good. Jamie McMurray, uh, even better than Eric Jones in terms of driver rating last year at the large ovals, 91.7 driver rating. Um, If we limit it to just the second half of the season, however – uh, you know, Jamie McMurray goes to a 90.7, so not 91.7, but 90.7, and Eric Jones actually jumps up to an 85.6. So those two names right there um, seem to stand out, along with Kurt Busch in the 8K range, Kurt Busch 88 driver range. So like Jamie McMurray, Kurt Busch, and Eric Jones, they'll probably be priced around each other, and the way to kind of tell them apart this weekend, again, will be through practice times and manufacturer performance. We've got three different manufacturers here between them, Jamie McMurray in the Chevy, Kurt Busch in the Ford, and Eric Jones in the Toyota. So if we notice something with the manufacturers here, uh, that will probably give us the edge in that little range of drivers. If we kind of drop down a little bit further uh, and maybe just uh, focus on a little bit cheaper range, you could have Daniel Suarez and Austin Dillon, who had very nice performances the second half of the season at the large ovals last year. Uh, Austin Dillon with an average finish of 14 and a driver rating of 77.1. Daniel Suarez's driver rating was a little bit higher, 77.6 at the last eight large oval races. His finishing position wasn't quite there, but he had a higher average running position than, than Austin Dillon, which gave him that higher driver rating. So those are two names that could surprise as well. Uh, and then we'll have to see kind of what happens with the model. Uh, does it like any of these drivers a little bit better than, than the others? Who knows, but uh, we'll have to see. Okay, so those are the guys uh, right now where you're keeping an eye on. What about the guys that uh, looks like, I mean, obviously practice pending, but the guys look like we might want to avoid for Las Vegas? Yeah, so I said Eric Jones was ahead of uh, a certain somebody. That certain somebody, Jimmy Johnson, uh, only an 81.8 driver rating at the large ovals the second half of the season. Um, Last year, if you take the full season at the large ovals, still not very good, 82.9. Eric Jones also ahead of Jimmy Johnson over the full season. Eric Jones had a better average finish than Jimmy Johnson, a better average start than Jimmy Johnson. So uh, it just seemed to be better overall at these mile and a half, these large ovals than Jimmy Johnson. And now we've got the fact that maybe Hendrick Motorsports is struggling a little bit. Uh, definitely, if, if Jimmy Johnson is priced kind of where he was last week, 8800 he might actually be overpriced. And, and somebody like Eric Jones could be underpriced or Kurt Busch or, 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 or Jamie McMurray could be a bit underpriced. Jamie McMurray was only 7600 last week. Uh, I'd rather, you know, just comparing Chevy to Chevy there, I'd rather have Jamie McMurray than Jimmy Johnson. And we know McMurray's going to be cheaper. Um, Johnson did lead a, a, about um, a 10, 17, something like that laps, not the percent, but total laps last year at Vegas. So we can't completely discount, I guess, track history, but I wouldn't put too much stock into that. So Jimmy Johnson, definitely a name to avoid. Uh, of that top tier of drivers besides Jimmy Johnson, I think. You know, last year when we thought of like the elite drivers, we thought of Truex, we thought of Kyle Busch, we thought of Kyle Larson, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski were certainly the top five. Uh, well, Kyle Larson, the second half of the year, 
uh, had his struggles. And, um, you know, throughout the course of the year, he was the third best driver rating at large ovals. But if we kind of just look at the second half of the season, he did have his struggles. Some of that could be, you know, variants, uh, of course, but he drops down behind Denny Hamlin at driver rating at the large ovals uh, and was only the fourth most dominant driver. So we could probably expect him to only be the fourth most dominant driver, especially being in a Chevy versus Truex, Harvick, and Bush in either Toyotas or Fords. Okay. Uh, you are going to be attending the race, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, but, of course, that means that our content schedule will be a little bit different this week. Uh, tell everyone what they should be uh, what they should be expecting in terms of content. Yeah, so um, Friday is uh, first practice, and then qualifying is at 7.15 p.m. Eastern time, so that usually – puts it over just a little after 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. And I'm kind of saying that for you as well, Matt, because that kind of gives us a timeline on when we will be recording the podcast. We usually do that after qualifying. Uh, then Saturday is second practice and final practice. So this weekend there are two practice sessions. Um, last weekend at Atlanta, there was only one post-qualifying practice session. This weekend, two post-qualifying practice sessions. The second one will end at 3.20 p.m. Eastern or 12.20 p.m. Vegas time. Uh, so I will get right to work on updating the model, updating the article or, or you know, getting the article out, updating the apps. Um, that'll take a couple, two, three hours. So what I think we'll do for Road of His Live, since I will be going to the race, we won't do Road of His Live Sunday morning. We will do Road of His Live Saturday evening. Give me, let's say, at least three hours. That would put it around 630 Eastern. I'll throw the options out there to you guys, the listeners. I'll put a Twitter poll out. Do we want to do 6.30 p.m. Eastern time? Do we want to do 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time? Or do we want to do 9.30 p.m. Eastern time? So like hour and a half windows there. Um, that way, uh, I, I'll let you guys vote on it, and you guys, whichever majority wins, uh, or a plurality, or, or whatever we end up, I don't know how these voting systems work. I'm not not, not totally sure with that terminology. Uh, but uh, yeah, either 6.30, 8 o'clock, or 9.30 p.m. Eastern time will be Road of His Live uh, and hopefully everything will be updated by then. Uh, also, after Road of His Live, I'll get to writing the betting article, and that'll be running either late that night or Sunday morning on the Action Network. All right. That is going to do it for the midweek NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Kiffin on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Thank you for listening to On The Daily, the Road of His Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Road of His Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. 
It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.